Hello, welcome to the Modern House podcast. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of the Modern House. Today I'm talking to the lovely Laura Jackson about her three favourite living spaces and also what home means to her. I love that you walk into these homes and it's filled with memories and love and stories. That's really exciting. It's just something that you cannot create. Laura's a bit of a polymath. She does podcasting, uh, broadcasting on TV, and she's also done supper clubs. So um, there's Jackson and Levine, and also the brilliant host as well. She also more recently has started a fantastic um, homewares website called Glassette. It's gonna be the platform where everybody globally will go to shop product for their home. Dan and I are aggressively ambitious and there is no stopping us, which is very exciting, but also a lot of pressure that we're putting on ourselves. <laughs> what I really loved about this podcast is Laura's just fantastic sense of humour. She's, she's really, really good fun. Doesn't take herself too seriously, um, but also her, her real sense of honesty comes through. She talks about her reality of life at home with the children, um, including having to stop them eating the dog food. Um, and um, we bonded over a bit of a shared love of California. Quite specifically, she seems to want to live like Forrest Gump in a house with a white veranda. Uh, and I'm kind of with her on that. So they moved cross country for this house. And I love that dedication to a building where you know that this has to be part of your life. And she also really made me want to take a trip to Mexico. I didn't expect a progressive cosmopolitan city full of amazing architecture and great places to eat. My husband's mum actually said to me, make sure nobody puts a gun in your bag. <laughs> and I thought, Karen, what are you on about? Oh yeah, and on a slightly unexpected note as well, we managed to stumble into a conversation about how many children you should have. Oh my God, is three, I mean, we should take this offline. Is three gonna kill me? But I began, as we often do on this podcast, by asking her to take us back to her childhood. Well, I grew up in Huddersfield with my mum, my stepdad, and my step-siblings and my sister. There was seven of us at home. My mum actually is one of four and had younger brothers, and they would rotate in living with us as well. So at any one time, we had eight people in the house which was really exciting, very chaotic and always fun. I think I really like the chaos of everyday life because that's all I've ever known. I, now when I have two children and I think, how did my mum cope with five kids and her? We used to run rings around her, you know, just playing and hiding things and just being potentially a bit devious sorry mum I don't know how she managed it but yeah it was really it was really chaotic in the best sort of way we grew up in Huddersfield which is a medium-sized town that's nestled between some of the bigger cities like your Manchester your Sheffield your Leeds and it was a really lovely upbringing I went to used to walk to the local school and then when I went to the local high school Shelley High School we got the bus and it was very picturesque. Lots of green rolling hills. But like I say, because we were nestled between these cities, as we got older, we could go shopping in Leeds or go to Meadowhall in Sheffield on the train. And I really love my Northern roots. They're so important to me. I didn't quite realize what it was to be Northern 
or what it stood for, what it stands for until I moved down to London. But I definitely think that we are a great breed of people. And <laughs> I definitely gravitated towards the Northern people as, I'm, as I, when I moved down to London. But yeah, it was it was a great place to grow up. And I mean, like everybody over the past 18 months, God, two years now, um, my husband and I have been thinking about whether we stay in London and if we don't stay in London and would we go back up north because we had a great upbringing up north? Who, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, it was uh, it was great. Was design a thing in your childhood? How, how have you ended up a, a bit of an esthete? Is that from your upbringing or have you just kind of learned that? <laughs> um, no, design is not from my upbringing at all. My parents obviously I, I, like cared about their home and bought lovely things for it, but we didn't live in a designed house. But I, one, what I would say is my my stepdad, he's a Scouse and he grew up on this big estate in Liverpool and it's been built in him to do things yourself. You know, you, you can do anything that you want to do. You've got to do it yourself, basically. So he built himself a car when he was younger and he's always gone on to kind of build a couple of houses. We um, actually lived in this old corn mill and my stepdad did all of the work with a couple of builders and uh i don't think i've ever told anyone that actually but yeah he 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 did so much of the work himself he's so hands on and we lived by this beautiful little stream and i remember it always used to flood and then the downstairs used to flood and the the floor used to come up but it was all about home rather than being design led like yeah. architecture or anything like that it wasn't until I moved to London, really, where I just saw these beautiful homes. I had no idea people lived like this in these houses. I just I just didn't. I went to school and got on with my stuff and went out with my friends. And it, it was it's really eye opening. So what was that? Was that going to visit other people or was it did you see those things online? What was it that that sparked that interest? It all started when I did some work experience at a company called the Admirable Crichton. I was doing events management at university in Leeds, uh, although my dad will tell me it was a polytechnic. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I know, cheeky. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but all my friends were going to uni and I just felt like that's what I needed to do. So I decided to study events management when I looked at the syllabus and the structure of the the course I felt quite aligned to oh, learning about parties for four years this looks fun and my second year was a placement I applied to the Admiral Crichton um, and a man called Johnny Roxburgh was the co-owner of this business and I'd seen him on Ready Steady Cook talking about Moroccan bazaars which I had no idea what they were but it sounded so enchanting and mesmerizing and beautiful he would travel the world finding trinkets and ornaments and tablecloths and cutlery to take to events and dress up spaces and it sounded wonderful I wanted to work for him so I applied I'm not sure how I managed to charm them but I did and I got the job and it was such a gear shift from what I was used to in Huddersfield I was working for this very affluent company going to houses in Notting Hill. I did the 
I think it was the the, the king of Kuwait's wedding in Paris, <laughs> um, where I was serving canapes. The Gypsy Kings were playing. I just have all of these crazy memories. This beautiful house that we went to in Henley on Thames. I remember me and my friend Kate were waitressing and we were just like, whoa, look at these curtains. Oh my God, look at this rug. And it just opened my eyes. It, 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 it very much felt like the song Laid by James. If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. Okay. Um, no, it's called Sit Down, Not Laid. Um, but it really, like that song used to just ring in my ear. I just didn't know people lived like that or, yeah. you know, when you like, oh, that's really nice. Where's that from? And they're like, oh yeah, it's just like, £20,000 bath and you're like what <laughs> who sits in a £20,000 bath but it just really opened my eyes to design and architecture and the way that people live is so different and how things can be functional and beautiful I've always wanted to own my own house and to curate my own space my mum used to laugh because when we used to go on holiday, you know, there's a lot of us. So if we weren't camping in France, we'd go to an all-inclusive in Turkey or what have you. But I'd I'd take posters from my wall in my bedroom and put them up in the hotel room because I like that sense of home. I don't know how to articulate it, but I liked those creature comforts around me, even from such a small age. I always wanted to curate my own space and have my own home that really grounded me and was a place that I could feel comfortable at all times. That's really interesting, isn't it? Is that because you didn't, you feel you didn't have that enough of at home or in your childhood? Was it, was it just kind of too hectic and you couldn't find your own space maybe? I don't know. Cause I, I did, ha I was the oldest. Uh, no, I was the second oldest. I've forgotten. There's just so many of us. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I was the second oldest. And I, I, I feel like I did have my own space and, I liked the I liked the sense that the door was open. My mum definitely still has that open door policy where she loves people knocking on for a cup of tea. I think I've definitely got that instilled in me, that sense of community, which actually is the foundation for everything that I do in terms of who I am and who I want to be, that kind of sense of community. So I know that's a really long-winded answer of saying, I'm not sure... I don't enjoy being on my own, but I wanted to create a place that that was that was me. I don't know. That's such a long-winded answer. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and but also, obviously, you're used to that sense of kind of conviviality and 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 people being together, which leads on to your supper clubs that you started. So tell us about how that got going. I always liked the fact that food could be the vehicle to bring people together. It was the one thing at home where my mum could get us all round the table, dinner, lunch, breakfast, cup of tea, slice of cake, whatever it was. It was that that was the that was the vehicle for communal gatherings at home. And I always really liked to bring different people from different backgrounds, different genres together around the table and that's quite difficult to do but not if you do it through food it really connects people and it's such an icebreaker isn't it if you're sat next to somebody and you offer them I don't know some asparagus and they're like I don't I don't enjoy asparagus no thank you then it's you gonna start make my wee to... smell funny exactly there you go then you're having the conversation of I don't like asparagus why don't you like asparagus oh when I was 10 I had this awful meal at this place you know it, it's such an icebreaker and I and, and I love that yeah so I wanted to create 
a safe space where I could bring people together to connect with each other. That wasn't some sort of networking event, you know, right. talk to me if I've got a green badge, don't talk to me if I've got a red badge <laughs> and no one was really doing it. So we weren't the first people to start a supper club, but I do think that we were one of the first people that was kind of bringing people together in that way. You get an invitation to dinner at somebody's house with a group of people that you're really interested in talking to. You want to go. Yeah. It wasn't just about the food, it was about the experience. So the flowers, the way the room smelt, uh, the music that we were playing, how the menu was kind of written and just the curation of everything. And it's taken me a really long time to understand the art of gathering or how to have meaningful relationships with people and what exactly that means and the power of it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I just, put people together but actually there's a real there's there's a real art to it there's a real mm. skill to it yeah and and I really really enjoy it seeing people talk and connect and then make friends and then you know we have people start businesses together from meeting around the supper club table that we curated that's really really exciting and like I said earlier that sense of community is really the foundation to everything that I everything that I do. I'm very much in this learning phase at the moment, Matt, of who am I and what do I do and what is my purpose? And starting Glassette has been like somebody's pulled the rug underneath me of what I'm doing and who I am and what my purpose is again. So right. I'm very much finding my feet with all of this. But one thing that I do know is I love that connectivity and bringing people together and community underlies everything that I do, whether it's being mm. Jackson Levine, whether it's being host, whether it's being Glassette, whether it's my television shows that I've presented, it's always been about community. So when people say, oh, you do, you, you do this and you do that, it's all about one thing. It's all about community. Yeah, you you are a massive polymath, aren't you? It's quite amazing. And I was I was going to ask you as a result, when you're at a supper club or you're meeting people for the first time and they say, what do you do? What's your succinct answer to that? Because I'm intrigued. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I guess, a broadcaster and entrepreneur, I guess. I don't really know. I don't like to be defined by one thing. Mm. I don't want to be remembered as a job title, I want to be remembered as somebody that made a change. And I think that who am I? I well, I'm kind and I'm thoughtful and passionate more than what my job title is. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like, I feel, I feel that as I get older, I'm just, I'm still in this huge learning phase of all of that, but I want to be remembered for things that I've done that have made a difference rather than what box I've ticked on my CV. Yeah, good answer. Um, so you, you mentioned Glassette there. Tell, tell us about that. When did you start that and what does that do? I started Glassette in January 2021. I get all the years mixed up now as everybody does because of COVID. <laughs> I was at home on maternity leave and shopping for homeware. It just felt that there wasn't one place that aggregated all of the different platforms to buy beautiful things for the home in one place. I had to go to a maker's market, I had to DM another seller, had to go on eBay, Etsy, the high street stores. 
And I, and I just thought, why isn't there one platform that curates all of this that is kind of content led, is about editorial storytelling? Exactly what I guess you do with the modern house. You sell houses, but you you do so much more than that. You're a, you're a brand, you're an experience, you're about those sensory touch points. And I felt that there wasn't that represented in homeware. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd build it. I went to my sister and I said, I've got a great idea. I essentially want to build a platform that sells beautiful homeware, aggregates all of these different ways to buy homeware in one place, but tell great stories about great people who love their home too. Because for a really long time, homeware has been quite stuffy, if I'm totally honest. I write for El Decor, which I absolutely love, and they massively champion sustainability, artisans, creators. But I didn't really know that many other platforms that were trying to do that. My sister was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. Are you sure? <laughs> Do you re- really are you sure? So I was in the queue getting a coffee with her, and I said, "I'm going to go and speak to Dan, who's my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. He worked for End Clothing at the time, predominantly fashioned-forward retail company with bricks and mortar stores." And I went to him and said, I want to build a platform that's inventory-less that sells homeware, that is great at storytelling, great at content, and it's going to shake up an industry that feels a bit stagnant. Mm-hmm. And he was so excited about it, more excited than I was. And, and then he came on to be a co-founder because he's so technically operationally minded. And I'm not, I'm more the creative, the marketing, the PR, the visuals, the tone of voice. So we're a yin and yang that work really well together. It's going really well. It's going to be the platform where everybody globally will go to shop product for their home and Dan and I are aggressively ambitious and there is no stopping us, which is very exciting, but also a lot of pressure that we're putting on ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) What do you do with the stock? Do you hold the stock or how how does that work? No. So we're inventory less. It's interesting actually about drop shipping and not not holding any stock. It's uh, since we launched in in January, we've really noticed quite a lot of companies that are doing the same. So Prada dropship, it's a much leaner, greener way of operating Mm. because you're taking out the middleman. I didn't have millions of pounds to buy a warehouse and fill it with stock. But also, why would I do that when that's not very smart? Why am I buying or renting a warehouse using water, electricity, manpower, carbon emissions? when I don't actually need to. I can, you know, if you think about all of the great companies who are the, inverted commas, vehicle for sales, the platform, your eBay, your Deliveroo, Amazon, Just Eats, there's so many of them. You, you're the same. You don't own your houses that you sell, Right Move, the modern house. It's a really smart way of working. It hasn't really yet been adopted in kind of retail in terms of fashion and homeware, but we are a progressive brand platform that hopes to make changes within the industry. We want to be the blueprint. I do think it's the future. Good. Let's move on to your your three choices of living spaces. So um, the first one is Casa Luis Barragan in Mexico City, which was built in 1948 by the architect Luis Barragan. Um, he lived there for 40 years, I think, all the way till his death in 1988. Have you been there? I have been there. Mexico City is one of my favourite places in the world. So yeah. vibrant and multicultural hmm. and cosmopolitan beyond 
my wildest dreams. I did not know what to expect. I didn't expect a progressive cosmopolitan city full of beautiful restaurants, amazing architecture and great places to eat. My husband's mum actually said to me, make sure nobody puts a gun in your bag. <laughs> and I thought, Karen, what are you on about? But, you know, we have this, I don't know what it is about, we, like years ago, we didn't think it was a, a city to go to really, mm. you know, everyone's going to Paris or Madrid or Milan or wherever in Europe, but Mexico City wasn't really on, what wasn't on the map for me. It might've been for a lot of the people, but it wasn't for me. And I went and I just, it was an assault of the senses as I got off the aeroplane. I absolutely loved it. We stayed at this beautiful little house called the Red Tree House in a place called Condesa. It's just a B&B, but it's really beautifully designed, very simple. It's run a bit like a family home. Every evening at about five, six o'clock, everyone has a communal beer in the courtyard and talks about their day, where they've visited, what museums they've been to. And it was there that I heard about Lewis Barrican's house. There's something really melancholy about that house. It's quite cold because the walls are really thick and it sits on this very ordinary street. There's nothing interesting about it. The facade looks like the facade of every other house, but when you go through the door, it's really interesting, the uses of, of materials. Everything's quite natural, the plaster and, and the wood. I think it's a sort of yellow kind of vestibule, isn't there? And then it leads on to a pink room. And so on and so on. I mean, tell us about the use of colour in there, because it's just amazing. It's a modernist house and it's quite abstract. You walk into this hallway and like I say, you've got this kind of wood, this natural stone and this plaster, but then this really bright, vibrant yellow. And in all of the rooms, they're quite simple, but then you get these pops of colour that give you a sense of personality in a space that could be quite bland without it. Mm. So there's lots of yellows and bright pinks. And there's this kind of beautiful floating staircases. One is made out of volcanic rock. And then the other one is in the, in the kind of the library room, it's made out of wood. And obviously when you look at it face on, it looks like nothing's there. But as you start moving into the room, you see that this is a floating Okay. Staircase. It's just incredibly clever. And when I when I was there, it really made me think about architecture in a in a different way. Because you hear people talk about it very granularly. Yeah. And you think, oh, I can't really relate to that. Mm. I don't really understand that. But being in that space and listening to the guide talk about his life and his work and this and the and these rooms and about the fluidity of it. It really resonated with me for the first time I, ever. I, I, th I think I haven't been there, sadly, and I, I would absolutely love to, so I'm very jealous. But um, it, it's, it strikes me that its success is about the contrast that it shows. So, you know, you've got cramped spaces that sort of lead out to larger ones and you've got constant changes in ceiling height and you've got sort of compression and then release you know, do, it, is that is that the sense that you have when you're there? Because it, you know, it, it it feels just like a very alive space where your 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 experience is deliberately sort of challenged as you go through it. Yeah, you are, and it, it, on the outside it's really unrefined, but on the on the inside it's quite neat. <laughs> it's a really interesting space. 
I don't know if I could ever live like that because I like trinkets and stuff. <laughs> I'm a hoarder. I, I have emotional connections to everything in my home. Whereas it was really interesting how, you know, you walk into the, the room with the, the floating staircase, the first one with the kind of volcanic rock, and there's a table with a chair and a telephone. Oh, yeah. And I know that if I was there, there'd be just shit everywhere. Yeah. But I can... I can, you know, I can enjoy and understand this minimalist type of living, but I do love modernist work. And I definitely take lots of learnings in terms of, I love that like the gloss paint that they use in that, in that house is really great. And in the workshop, it's all white and the ceiling is wooden, it's kind of slats, but painted in yellow gloss. And it's just it's a room that I could kind of take learnings from to adapt it in some way into my house, whether it was a gloss or a painted ceiling. Mm. It's just kind of beautiful. And I, I, I really, really love Mexico and I love the architecture there. I love the buildings and the colors. And it's really interesting that they don't have vintage or flea markets there because things are handed down through generations. They don't, get rid of things like we do okay and when i was there i was like well there, there must be some sort of flea market or you know antique fair and we we actually found one it was only a couple of stores but it was very expensive because people just don't get rid of stuff they keep it and i i, I love that i love that you walk into these homes and it's filled with memories and love and stories yeah that's really exciting it's just something that you cannot create yeah yeah he, and Barragan was a devout Catholic, I think. And there's a big cross, isn't there, in one of the rooms. And then mm. there's that beautiful full height window that looks onto the garden, which has also got a, a kind of cruciform shape to it. Um, mm. Does it does it feel spiritual when you're in there? It does because you it's it's visible. Yeah it does feel quite stark and quite cold. Like it does feel melancholy. Does it? That's There's some parts that kind of feel a bit sad. Mm. The religious thing is very visible. Yeah. I feel like that. I feel like that about lots of places in Mexico. Yeah. Their religion or their beliefs are much more visible and more tangible than mm. perhaps how we bear or show or think about our religion in, in, in the UK. Well, that, that's right. But there's also, don't you think there's also a sort of monastic quality in a way to the bedroom? So they're, they're really Spartan, aren't they? There's very little in there. You know, it's got a simple, simple bed mm. and a side table. What do you make of that? I mean, it, just thinking about bedrooms for a moment, I always think, and I say in my book, actually, I always think that be the best bedrooms are, are quite sort of small and nest-like and simple because, you know, you don't want the visual distraction, but also... You want to feel contained, I suppose. What would your approach to a bedroom be? Would it be just to fill it with stuff? My bedroom's a bloody mess. <laughs> um, I wish I was that person that could live minimally, but I just can't. As I said, I have <laughs> memories attached to every object in my home, and there are a lot of those objects. When I travel, I love to get something tangible and bring it home with me that is a memory every time I walk into the room of that place that I've traveled to. So I couldn't have a minimal bedroom. I often look at Rose Uniac's bedroom online and think, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to live like that? 
We all want to live like Rose, don't we? Secretly. We all want to live like Rose. <laughs> Is it possible? I don't think so. I, I feel like I feel like if I had Rose's bedroom behind a cupboard door, you'd open it up and then everything would just fall on your head because I shoved <laughs> it in there. I, I yeah. Marie Kondo, all of that minimalist living is unfortunately not for me. But I like that because I like that I know my stance on it and I'm not trying to be something that I'm not. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So I'm really interested then as so the reason you've picked this house, it sounds like, is in a way because of what it represents, you know, as as a Mexican space, right? Is you know, you admire the city and, and the kind of feeling of it. You you clearly wouldn't want to live like that but is is it is it the experience of being there and it's it, the sort of the fact that it feels so otherworldly to you yeah i think it's the simplicity of its design and its modernism with its mexican history and its mexican roots yeah, yeah. i think it's about a house that has taught me quite a lot without me really knowing it being in that city and it's a fast-paced city. It is busy. So when you go into this house that's quiet and quite serene, in and amongst the chaos, there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm jealous. Excellent. Let's move on to your second one, which is less minimalist in a way. So it's a house in Mill Valley in California, uh, which belongs to a couple called Mark and Blythe Harris. Um, it dates from the 1870s and it was redesigned more recently by the New York architect Gil Schaffer. I hope I've said that right. And the British designer Rita Koenig. Have you been there? I've never been there, but for some reason I came across this house when I was doing some research and it really struck a chord with me. It's an old YMCA summer camp house, which I just think is so in, so American, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. And the architect girl, he loves tradition, but he leans very much towards British design, those kind mm. of, uh, with a mix of like presidential. It's kind of quite, I, 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 I don't know, I'm sometimes really bad at articulating what's in my head, but he's a residential architect. And what I love about American homes is kind of that wraparound veranda balcony. Yeah, yeah. Same. You know, like, in the notebook, do you remember that film, The Notebook, oh, yeah, where they yeah. have that house and they make it up? Yeah, I, I think since, since watching that film and, and Forrest Gump, I've really liked those types of homes. I feel really drawn to them. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I'm also obsessed with how Americans always try and make things older and how they buy things to create history in their homes. I think it's just really interesting. Quite fun. Well, I... I think, I mean, it's worth describing what it looks like on the outside. So it, it's um, it's clad in cedar shingles, which are painted black, isn't it? And then you've got white painted sort of Georgian sash windows. And I sort of completely agree with what you're saying in a way, which is Americans seem to do kind of classical architecture sort of almost better than the original sometimes, I think. Do you know, there's, there's so, mm. there's, they're so sort of romantic, aren't they? And it might be, is it because we've seen them in the movie so much? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that is one word that I would associate with that type of design is romantic. Mm. Yeah, it, it looks a bit like a big cabin, essentially. Mm. It is very film-like, isn't it, actually, when, yeah. when you come to think of it. I always find it really interesting how 
Americans all have interior designers. It's not yeah, something yeah. that we do in England and it's quite frowned upon. Oh, you can't do your own home or it's not your design style. But in America, it's just a given that if you buy a beautiful house that you get somebody to help fulfill your dreams. Totally agree. It's, uh, that fascinates me. I, and given that my wife you know, designs all sorts of things, including interiors, it's always fascinated me that she... I don't know, she's more accepted in America than here and she's done a lot more interiors work there than here as well. It's it's slightly mm. bizarre, but I think you're right. They they sort of, they they accept that as part of the design process that they need someone to help them with the interior. Yeah, I look a lot to American architecture and interiors whenever I'm writing something or looking for inspiration. I just find it, all the beautiful houses in LA. I love going down the architectural digest hole of snooping around people's houses. I find that so fun. <laughs> Spent many hours late night doing that. And San Francisco and New Orleans. Wow, I love the Creole cottages yeah. and those kind of like shotgun double houses that, you know, I mean, they're called shotgun houses because people could shoot you if you were stood at the back of the house from the front of the house. Very American. But I, I just... Yeah, I, I, I look to America for so much inspiration with hmm. interiors. It just feels very vibrant and there's so many different design styles within that country that we don't have yeah. in England. I think this house is a really interesting choice, actually, because it. I must admit, I I looked at the pictures and I, I, I thought, just like you, that's a place that I would just love to go and stay in, right? Because it's like, if you look in the sitting room, for example, there's there's this kind of... There's this George Sherlock sofa and a sort of huge Ottoman and there's bookcases filled with books at jaunty angles. And it's all it's all quite sort of feels quite informal, doesn't it? It feels like it's always mm. been there and it just feels comfortable. I think mm. Americans do comfort well, don't you think? Yeah, it seems quite an organic place, even though I'm yeah. sure it was styled yeah. to the high heavens for that shoot. It, it it feels like, oh, wow. Yeah, these are our collection of beautiful old posters in, in and amongst our photographs of the children that we've been collecting over the years. And I, I think that John Darian mm. does that really well. I love his New York apartment. I just, I do, I Google mm. that a lot as well. It's that, as you say, that informal, not really calculated, mm comfortable organic see as it is kind of space but really it's that no makeup look they've probably spent a lot of time doing that <laughs> it is no makeup makeup it is it is the no makeup look yeah i love the story of it as well because they went to have a look at that house and they were living in an apartment in new york and this house is in the bay area up from san francisco and they were like, we just love this house. We have to have this house. So they moved mm. cross country for this house. And I mm. love that dedication to a building where you know that this has to be part of your life. Yeah. You know that this has to be your surroundings and you want to make this your home for your children to grow up mm. in. I just, I love that dedication. I wish I could be, I wish I could be that because as much as I love this house, which I'm sure we'll go on and talk about, is this the right place to grow my children up? Is this the right garden for them to play in? All of these kind of questions that we have as parents. But yeah, I love, I love that they moved across America for this house. You can you can fall in love with the building without a doubt. I, I thought this story was fascinating because they went to go and see this sort of slightly tumble down YMCA cabin, as you say, 
and they dismissed it and said this this is never going to work and then I think a couple... Oh, did they? I yeah. thought they were like, oh, we, we have to have no, it. No, no. Well, it, what happened was two nights later, um, the, the husband, Mark Harris, was up in the middle of the night pacing around the bedroom. <laughs> and he said, I've been thinking about it and we've got to buy this house. There's, there's, there's no question about it. We have to do it. And that's, I think that's what happens with houses. They, they, get, their, they get their talons into you and, and they don't let go. And you, you, you can't stop thinking about it. It's such a romantic thing. It's like a new life. It's a new mm. way of living. Um, so mm. yeah, I, I really admire that they went for it. <laughs> it's a love story of a different kind, but still yeah. as important. Yeah, exactly. But there's some really nice decorative touches in there, aren't there? I really like the the um, the checkerboard floors that they've done. So they've they've left the kind of raw timber floor, and then they've painted white checks on top. So you've got sort of white and timber checkerboard effects. Really, really nice. I really like mm. that. I think that Rita does that incredibly well with the small details. Yeah. As they say in the world of business, marginal gains, but can be applied <laughs> to, to homes as well. It's the small things that really matter. Yeah. Even just the Indian style roll blinds that are made yeah. out of bamboo, it just adds this kind of texture, this extra layer. And I think that Rita is an ex excellent, excellent layer, and yeah. which is that which is the details. And like you say, those um, those really large checkerboard painted floors in the bathroom that is white and wood that's been around for a really long time but she definitely put that back at the forefront of people's mm. minds and I've seen lots of interpretations of that since it's just a really it's a really magical house I would absolutely love to make friends with Mark hello Mark <laughs> if you're listening um and uh yeah go and visit it go for a weekend yeah <laughs> absolutely if yeah so much inspiration has 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 come from him America. The garden feels so romantic as well, doesn't it? With the kind of the cloud hedging and the climbing pink roses and yeah, just, and that just that sunlight that you get in California. Don't you think? That light is like nowhere else in the world. Mm. It, 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 if I could move to California just for the light, I would. <laughs> yeah. It's such a war. It's not even a light. It's a glow. Yeah. And you're right. It's the, the the garden's really romantic, and I I've always Googled David Austin roses because they are the best roses in the world. Yeah. But I just love them. When I kind of saw that garden picture when I first found the house, I did say to my husband, "I want climbing roses. I need <laughs> I need the climbing roses." <laughs> of course. Have you got climbing roses? No, they take ages. <laughs> Too impatient. I'm too impatient. Well, let's, let, let's move on to your own house, which is the third and final one we want to talk about today. We featured it on the Modern House website a while back. So that's given us a bit of a sense of it. But I'd love to, to hear in reality what it's like kind of behind the scenes. So first of all, what kind of building is it? and Where is it? It's in Forest Gate, which is in... East London forward slash borderline Essex. <laughs> and we live on a really interesting set of roads built by an American architect. And he has separated the long roads with mini roundabouts, like how you would have a block in America. Maybe that's why I like American architecture. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it's a Victorian house. We bought it uh, about six or seven years ago now. And we are kind of finished, not kind of finished, <laughs> kind of finished. 
but the flowery wallpaper has been an ongoing debate whether we keep it or not. And I think... This is in your sitting room, isn't it? This is in my sitting room. My husband, Jonathan, really wants to keep the flower wallpaper. I, as much as I love it, and I think it's beautiful and, you know, yada, 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 it's got to go. It's really filthy. It smells like smoke on some days when, when, when it's really warm outside. It kind of seeps through the walls. And... So presumably this is a wallpaper that you inherited with we the We inherited house, right? it. And I think that we both felt that we wanted to keep it, to have the owner here in some way, shape or form who absolutely loved this house. But this is our house now and there's lots of other memories of her and I think that it needs to go. He said only the other day, that he is up for having a conversation of removing the wallpaper, Matt. So I think I've won, which is great. Happy days. Um, it is. It's a lovely wallpaper, though. It does. It does look good. I mean, it. You know, clearly in a photograph, you can't see the the finer details of the smoke stains, though. Yeah, I agree. I think in photographs it looks great, but as we know, photographs tell a very different story <laughs> to actually being in the room in the house. So um, yeah. I, I really love this house though. It's it, it now has so many memories for me because I gave birth to my son literally where I'm sat a year and a bit ago. And having a baby at home is just all kinds of wonderful that I never knew existed until I had a home birth. So I feel like I'll forever be rooted in this house, yeah. weirdly. Yeah. But is it our forever home? I don't think so. Why not? I want to have another baby, which is madness. It is madness. I know. And um, have you got kids? I've got three, yeah. Oh, my God. Is three? I mean, we should take this offline. Is three going to kill me? Three is fascinating because obviously you're always outnumbered. Three is fascinating. Oh, pull the other one. <laughs> It's hell. Don't worry, your wife is listening. Um, well, well, do you know what? It's different for me because um, we've got our, our eldest is nine and then we've got four year old twins. So the thing is, is that we weren't planning to have three, but then we did. And um, the only thing I'll say is, um, is that the world isn't really geared up for families of more than four. It's kind of fascinating because everything from sort of cars to hotel rooms and everything in between just doesn't really accommodate a family of five and you go with it, you roll with it and it's cool. But, um, yeah, you're, you're quite an entourage, but I, I, yeah, I'm all for it. You know, big family's brilliant. Do it. I love a big family and I love an entourage. And I also like the challenge of it not being as socially acceptable. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the kind of disruptor in me. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think I would like to have another, I just, I just don't, I don't know where I'm at at the moment with it all. It's really interesting. So how old are your kids? Two and one. Two and one. Oh wow! So you're cramming them in. I'm cramming them in. <laughs> but I'm not. I mean, I'm not pregnant. I'm not, and I, I'm not going to do it now. But it, it very much, it very much informs the conversation that we're having. Mm. Talking about another child. Are we going to move? Where are we going to move to? Would we, you know, we're in London. We're not from London. We don't have parents here. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's an ongoing conversation that we're having at the moment. I really, I, when I say this, I make myself laugh because all of my family take the piss out of me when I say, I love the sea. But I do, I love the sea. I think there's something right. 
so moving about being near water. Yeah, I mean, it, makes, it really just makes me want to laugh because all all they ever say is, "Oh, my name's Laura. I love the sea." Um, <laughs> but I, I do. I just I find it. I just find something so soothing about the wide open water, and I would love to live by the sea. But where is that? Cornwall, miles away. Love mm. it, mm. but it's so far. It that is. train is not fun. Mm. Would we move to Devon? We don't have any ties to Devon either. Would we move to Sheffield? That's not near the sea. So it's just uh, all of the... I, I love London so much. It's vibrant. It's interesting. It's chaotic. And what's wrong with bringing up my children here? Nothing. Nothing. It's great here. But I don't know. I do have those dreams of that big American wood cladded house with a veranda. Yeah. Now yeah. that is not happening in London. So <laughs> no, but it's it's a time of life thing, isn't it? I think everybody questions their way of living when they have young children because you want them to have space around them and clean air and and all those things, don't you? You want to have the best way of life for your kids that you can. How has having young kids changed your experience of that house, though? What's it like? having them around do you, do you sort of see it in quite a different way now when we designed the kitchen with Retruvius, it was very front of mind in terms of how we would use that space with children mm. and I'm really glad we designed it like that so the stove is on the island which faces out towards the garden and you can see as much space in the kitchen and the outdoors as possible so mm. I know where the children are at all times unless my son has decided to go into the downstairs toilet to eat the dog food which now he absolutely <laughs> loves for some reason um so you know Maria really thought about the use of space the functionality the purpose of the space and I think without her, we wouldn't have thought about it like that. We do, we should just say, shouldn't we? This, this is the brilliant Maria Speak from Retrievious, who's just such a wonderful person, but so talented as well. So I, I hadn't realised. So she helped you, what with the with the whole house or specifically with the kitchen? Just with the kitchen, yeah. It was um, it was really her brains in terms of the functionality, having the dishwasher, having the washing machine, sorry, and the dryer next to each other with a sink on top. So you know you were lifting up from the washing machine and putting the wet clothes on the sink before putting them in the dryer rather than if you're having them stacked on top of each other then you've got to put them on the floor so that was really useful but I mean as you know kids are a bloody nightmare one one mistake that I made actually was putting lime wash paint in the kitchen I really liked the, right. the fact that it added depth and texture to what was quite a flat wall but hmm. The kids just put their hands all over it. You can't wash it off. It's not right. practical. Looks great, but I'm sorry, it did look great. But now the kids have mm. been running the cars up the walls and whatever they do when I'm collecting the other one from eating the dog food. Um, it, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit messy if I'm, I'm totally honest. It's really difficult, isn't it? I always want to portray the realism of my home but when people come around and take photos obviously i have to tidy up we'll just shove everything yeah. in one room and let them take pictures of everything else but it's important i think it's really important that message though isn't it because we all see these pristine homes online and in magazines and things like that and it can it can feel like we're all miles away from that vision so it's it's i think i always think it's good to hear that everybody's house 
is also kind of chaotic behind the scenes and there are things that just drive us completely potty oh on i mean not really about architecture but oh my god my hoover's broke and it i've still not got a hoover it's really annoying me like there's you know it's a mess obviously because of that it's really i think it's anyone listening i think it's really really important to understand that just how fashion is calculated and has a stylist and a set designer when you see it in a magazine it's exactly the same for a house so do not not look at these pictures under the illusion of that's how somebody actually lives their life you have to take it with a pinch of salt I used to have all of my books on my coffee table a beautiful little trinket tray with the remote control in there I cannot have anything at child height because either a page gets pulled out, there's a pen on it, they've taken the batteries out, the remote control. It's a different way of living for quite a while now. The fact that I have got kids that have got very sticky fingers and having a dog as well, although the dog's not too much trouble. What sort of dog is it? He's a whippet. He's just literally behind me, look. Oh, yeah. So, but that, uh, whippets are great though, aren't they? Because they're, they're pretty tidy. They are pretty tidy, yeah, but he still requires his own space. He's 10, so he likes his home comforts and he likes to not be prodded and poked mm. and have a bit of privacy. Um, yeah, it's 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 different when you have children to when you live and you don't have children, absolutely. Yeah. But I wouldn't, obviously wouldn't change them for the for the world. But I, I do say to John, oh, when they're all at university, <laughs> we can have our white boucle. It's going to be so fabulous. But don't you think one of the keys to that is is choosing the right materials and then materials that will age in the right way and that can cope with that sediment of life over the top of them? Because, you know, you talked about your walls and you feel like you probably made the wrong choice there for you in your circumstances. Are there other materials in the house that you think have really worked and you, you really love them? We bought a sofa from Caravan actually, and it's got removable cushion yeah. covers. We've got we've got one of those as well. Yeah, they're amazing. And that that was a really good buy. That was an investment buy. It was in no way, shape, or form a um, inexpensive, impulsive purchase, but it will stand the test of time. And the fact that you can take off the covers when you've got children and a dog is great. Mm. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we, we, I mean, all of the kitchen really. So the, the, the kitchen fronts are from an old church floor that were, um, we got from Retruvius and the table is a kind of a very large dining table. It's three meters by one meter. It can get 10 people around it. And it feels like this piece that we will have forever. It's a couple of old school worktops. And I like the fact that we've given something a new lease of life, but the legs are new, yet it seems to feel like one one piece. Yeah. And so your kitchen cupboards, you said, are from a church. Is that right? They're a church floor. Yeah, they wow. were um, recycled and they are these diamond-shaped wooden pieces that we put on the front of the kitchen doors they look amazing i really they're, they're really distinctive very beautiful i think yeah and 
I did say to John, if we if we ever move out of the house, can we take the kitchen covers with us and repurpose them for something else? <laughs> I think that's fine. I don't think anyone's going to notice. Of course not. So yeah, be I just uh, replace them with some beautiful IKEA ones instead, and just draw some diamonds on. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always an awkward light fitting conversation when you come to sell the house as well. I find. <laughs> so the other one I want to talk about is your your bathroom which mm. I, I really, really like your bathroom. It's beautifully done. I absolutely love the bathroom. I'm so glad that you do too. Yeah, it's brilliant. The shower is made out of Tadlac, which is a specialist Moroccan plaster. Only a couple of people uh, work with Tadlac in the UK, which is a shame because it's a great material to use. It's a natural material and it should be inexpensive as it is in Morocco, but unfortunately because not a lot of people use it or know how to work with it here, it's more expensive but I loved the the thought of having a shower that felt part of the room mm. it wasn't a box that we put in the corner of the room exactly. that was a glass container I hate shower curtains and I hate uh glass glass doors yeah engagement yeah uh, and I wanted something that you could just walk into I really like looked at lots of different bathrooms in Ibiza and Spain and Morocco that had this kind of plaster, concrete, natural feeling. And 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 the curvature was really important to me because the room felt quite angular and square. Mm. And I really wanted to offset that with something circular and smooth and and round and a bit fun and a talking point mm. it's a bit of a mess now and I, I, I on my podcast I talk about having Tadalac because it doesn't look pristine forever there's no. a lot of upkeep and I'm a bit lazy I don't have time to spend every week waxing my shower like I don't even spend every year waxing my legs so I'm not going to spend every week waxing my bloody shower um <laughs> But it, it's it's a really interesting space that feels quite different to the rest of the house because it's very white and very minimal and very of a certain style, which isn't a Victorian house in Forest Gate. Yeah. I like the otherworldliness to it. And mm. even though it is different to what what the other rooms are saying or how the, how the other rooms speak to us, there is a theme in there that seems to match everything else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tadalac's beautiful stuff, isn't it? We use it in our previous house in London. And the one thing that I would say is that it's not hugely robust. So we made the mistake of using it on a cupboard frontage in our in our bathroom and it does chip. Um, mm. So I would, I would encourage anyone to use it, you know, in kind of broad swathes on walls rather than particularly intricate corners because it doesn't hold up so well for that. But it, in terms of your... Sort of furniture and artworks that you live with where do you tend to buy stuff from i'm really just starting to get into art actually it's not something that i've ever been interested in i didn't really understand it i still don't really understand it i like what i like and there's not really any thought behind it i'm not looking at new artists or to kind of make money or start some collection but i do love how it adds such personality into a room yeah, and your eyes are very drawn to certain pieces um, in certain places in the house. Mm. I love 
photography because my husband's a photographer and I feel that I get that real sense of escapism from the different forms of photography that I'm now kind of getting through art. For instance, my husband's got this beautiful photograph that he took of a roundabout in Sicily and it's just some gorgeous flowers with this blue backdrop on this kind of quite desolate roundabout really. But there's just something really uh, like captivating about it. And we had it printed and framed and it's in the floral living room. And every time I look at it, it just makes me think of really beautiful, happy thoughts of Sicily, which is another one of my favorite places. And sometimes just for a slight moment, I'm not in this house, in this body, doing whatever menial task I'm doing. I'm, I'm just somewhere else. And I've always had that escapism through photography. And I'm now having it through art, which I never have done before because it just felt so abstract to me. Mm. But I'm slowly collecting some kind of pieces that I like. I've got a Rob Tucker in um, one of the rooms who's a New Zealand artist who I found through Beata's Instagram, the interior designer. Oh, Beata Herman, she did yeah. A, yeah, she did a beautiful house in... Oh my gosh, I can't even remember where it was. It was in like Maine or somewhere. And it was a really simple, quite clean kitchen with red accents and then this flowery painting. And I was like, where is that from? I need this artist in my house. <laughs> don't, you, don't you think the best things that you live with though are the ones that have some sort of emotional connection? So, you, you know, you talked about, you know, something, there are a photo that reminds you of an experience in Sicily. It's... it's I think those ones that have a story behind them and remind you of a trip or a certain time are the ones that you tend to keep and, and, and have with you through your life. Mm, I, I feel that I have an emotional connection to everything. I'm quite an emotional person and I, I, I feel things really deeply and I am like that with trinkets and photographs and artwork and everything. I, I, like, I love that storytelling aspect and experiential aspect of of everything and yeah I've tried to try to have that in my home it's really interesting I I, I, I read it was um, Dolly Audison that said your home is the film film set of your life and it's so true yeah yeah it's where everything plays out doesn't it well that that leads me to my final question then which is what does home mean to you what is its importance in your life I think home is that sense of belonging to somewhere that you've created. But home for me isn't, isn't a, it, like I said, it's not a place. It's more of a feeling. I could kind of create a home anywhere. It's about having those people with me that make me feel settled and comfortable and happy and, and, and not alone. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Laura. I really oh, enjoyed so it. Thanks so much. So nice to chat. Thank you very, very much for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you have a quick second to give us a rating or a review, that's hugely helpful um, because it helps other people to find the show as well. So I'm told um, something about algorithms. And yeah, if, if you want to have a little um, nosy around Laura's house, your interest has been piqued by today's conversation, do check it out on our website, themodernhouse.com. Um, there are some really lovely photographs of it there. 
as she says it may be a little more polished than reality um, but um, it's a beautiful place nonetheless this episode was produced by kate taylor for feast collective